Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you give them a call. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a terrific show for you today, including special guest Bob Levy. He is the chairman emeritus of the Cato Institute. We'll be talking about uh, highlighted uh, Supreme Court decisions made in the last term, especially in the environment and affirmative action. We'll also visit with Professor Andrew Joppa, author of Josephus of Oz. We'll look forward to our discussion with Andy as well. It is August the 23rd, and on this day in 1927, despite worldwide demonstrations in support of their innocence, Italian-born anarchists Nicola Sacco and Bartolomeo uh, Venzetti, Sacco and Venzetti, were executed for murder. On April the 15th, 1920, a paymaster for a shoe company in South Braintree, Massachusetts, was shot and killed along with his guard. The murderers, who were described as two Italian men, escaped with more than $15,000. After going to a garage to claim a car, the police said were connected with the crime. Sacco and Venzetti were arrested and charged with the crime. Although both men carried guns and made false statements upon their arrest, neither had a previous criminal record. On July the 14th, 1921, they were convicted and sentenced to die. Anti-radical sentiment was running high in America at the time. It was just at the end of the Red Scare in the 20s. And the trial of Sacco and Vanzetti was regarded by many as unlawfully sensational. Authorities had uh, failed to come up with any evidence of the stolen money, and much of the other evidence against them was later discredited. During the next few years, sporadic protests were held in Massachusetts and around the world calling for their release, especially after Celestino Medeiros, then under a sentence for murder, confessed in 1925 that he had participated in the crime with uh, Joe Morelli and his gang. The state Supreme Court refused to upset the verdict. The Massachusetts Governor Alvin T. Fuller denied the men clemency. In the days leading up to the execution, protests were held in cities around the world and bombs were set off in New York City and Philadelphia. On August the 23rd, Sacco and Vanzetti were electrocuted. In 1961, a test of Sacco's gun using modern forensic techniques apparently proved it was his gun that killed the guard. The little evidence has been found to substantiate Vanzetti's guilt. In 1977, Massachusetts Governor Michael Dukakis issued a proclamation vindicating Sacco and Vanzetti, stating they had been treated unjustly and that no stigma should be associated with their names. Uh, so even back in the day, they were struggling with the application and administration of justice. <clears throat> well, eight Republican presidential candidates are set to join the first GOP primary debate, and that'll happen tonight in Milwaukee in the uh, battleground state of Wisconsin, which will also host the Republican National Convention next year. The two-hour debate line, uh, lineup consists of Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, former Vice President Mike Pence, Senator Tim Scott of South Carolina, former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley, entrepreneur Vivek Ramaswamy, former New York Governor Chris Christie, North Dakota Governor Doug Burgum, and former Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson. To qualify, candidates need to satisfy a set of requirements, including receiving donations from at least 40,000 unique donors and reaching minimum thresholds in polls. 
Larry Elder was disqualified uh, by Ronald McDaniel because one of his polls was conducted by Rasmussen, which he said was closely aligned with President Donald Trump. He's suing, and if he's successful in his case, that's a, it's going to be kind of an emergency situation. It will cancel tonight's ba- uh, debate. It seems greatly very unfair. Elder re- otherwise reached the requirements in order to participate in the debate. Former President Donald Trump, currently the 2024 uh, Republican presidential frontrunner, is skipping the bait, debate, uh, opting for an interview with Tucker Carlson. The pre-recorded interview is expected to air on X uh, currently, concurrently with the uh, debate. By the way, Tucker Carlson released a sobering interview with Colonel Douglas McGregor, who explained why the Ukraine war must end now. It's just a must-see, so uh, if uh, you have an opportunity... Go to uh, X, now it used to be Twitter, and get a copy of Tucker Carlson's interview of Douglas McGregor, Colonel Douglas McGregor. The next GOP uh, debate hosted by uh, Republican National Committee will be held September the 27th in Simi Valley, no doubt at the Reagan Library. The Democratic National Committee, which backs President Joe Biden, doesn't plan to hold primary debates. in the wake of a fourth indictment, President, former President Donald Trump has staked a significant lead over President Joe Biden should the pair face off for the White House run in 2024. Uh, might guess, with uh, very little evidence to demonstrate, I think the Democrat Party is going to skip on uh, Joe Biden. There'll be another candidate. I'm sure that will uh, lead to the drama going up to the election in tw- uh, 2024. Also, Biden's choosing not to debate. Well, guess what? In South Carolina, uh, Robert Kennedy F. Kennedy, Robert Kennedy Jr. is close behind. He's only ten points behind in South Carolina in the polls. So uh, maybe Joe Biden ought to think about a different strategy. Well, repelled by rapid rampant crime, high taxes, and exorbitant housing costs, financial firms managing $2 trillion in assets have left New York and California for Texas, Florida, and other Sunbelt states where the cost of living is much higher and uh, housing 40% cheaper than according to Bloomberg. And now in the three years through March 2023, 370 major firms with $2.7 trillion in assets under management, 2.5% total assets managed by investment firms in the United States, moved their headquarters to a new state. Even North Carolina and Tennessee saw more than $600 billion in assets seek refuge, primarily due to uh, Alliance Bernstein's jump from New York to Nashville. And All Spring Global Investments uh, giving up San Francisco for Charlotte, uh, North Carolina. <clears throat> the mass migration is taking a toll on California and New York's tax revenue base, as well as the career prospects for financial professionals. In the 90s, uh, 33% of all U.S. financial industry jobs were in New York. But last year, New York's share of these jobs uh, shrunk to 17.6%. Other giants on the move have been Charles Schwab trading in uh, San Francisco and uh, several others as well. The big one is uh, Ken Griffin's Citadel uh, giving up uh, Chicago for Miami. The mass flight is also hurting New York, Los Angeles, Boston, and Chicago commercial real estate, as you can imagine, already struggling due to uh, realities of uh, hybrid work. The Sun Belt is continuing to change, no longer just a place to for traditional industries like oil and gas, no longer just focused on tourism or retirement community. And according to Amy Liu, she's an interim president of Brookings Institute, 
These pandemic moves result reinforce the major metros in these states are certainly becoming a destination for new industries. Now, of course, early on, <clears throat> it was very difficult to make the decision. Let's move to a different state. One of the considerations is you want to be where the action is, and that was New York City uh, uh, and San Francisco, perhaps. But now people are making the move and they're saying, you know what, this is working out pretty well, and they're staying. So right now we can see some increased industries coming to Florida because Florida, of course, is well, one of the states that doesn't have an income tax, as well as many other benefits that uh, Governor DeSantis has made possible here in the state of Florida. Also, uh, financial executives, again, point out that there is no state income tax. That's good news. Well, gas prices increased nationwide this week, with South, uh, Southeast Florida having among the highest costs, particularly in Palm Beach Gardens, where the gallon of premium gas was reportedly nearly $7.00. Gas prices are on the way back up. National average price for a gallon of regular gas increased by five cents last week, according to American Automobile Association. The average national price for regular as of Monday was $3.85, still lower than the $4 a gallon plus for much of 2022. Gasoline prices in California have surged to the highest point in this year. In Los Angeles County, the average price for regular unleaded on Tuesday was $5.30 a gallon. That's a lot of tamales to ride around in a car. And all because uh, this Green New Deal and pushing alternative energy sources is just so foolish. <clears throat> Excuse me. Republican lawmakers in Georgia are working on ways to sanction Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis, the prosecutor who brought criminal charges against former President Donald Trump and 18 co-defendants, including the use of a new state law that creates a commission that can punish or throw out prosecutors. Now, we have this law in Florida, and DeSantis has applied it twice to get rid of prosecutors who don't do their job, and uh, he's been successful in both cases. I hope this could work also in Georgia. The Prosecuting Attorney's Qualifications Commission will begin proceedings in October and comes after GOP Governor Brian Kemp signed the measure into law earlier this year to form a board that will punish prosecutors that they determine <clears throat> are committing violations or neglecting their job duties. <clears throat> that according to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. State Senator Clint Dixon uh, uh, said Monday he plans to file a complaint against Willis when the commission goes into effect in October and claimed that the indictments against Trump and others were the result of her unabashed goal to become some sort of leftist celebrity. Once the Prosecutorial Oversight Committee is appointed in October, we can then have them investigate and take action against Fannie Willis and her efforts that, to weaponize the justice system against political opponents. Dixon said on uh, social media, This is our best measure, and I will be ready to call for that investigation. Meanwhile, other Republican uh, lawmakers are pushing efforts to re reprimand Willis, including State uh, Colton, Senator Colton Moore, who last week called for a special legislative session to investigate her, uh, the efforts need support from Democrats, so it may not proceed. Although they have three-fifths of the House and the Senate, uh, they could actually proceed. Nevertheless, uh, he sent a letter to Kemp. Kemp, to this moment, hasn't uh, responded. In addition, uh, state GOP leaders say they are, will block uh, pro-Trump efforts on changing the state pardon system so it will be easier to pardon him if he's convicted. 
According to state law, Georgia lawmakers can impeach district attorneys, and there are other checks on prosecutors, including elections and recall provisions. However, uh, this is going to take a long time. So they are making an effort, though, to uh, to somehow block this egregious uh, defying of uh, justice here in the state of Georgia. Well, India's space uh, agency confirmed yesterday its lunar lander uh, was on track to the, uh, for the nation's first soft landing on the moon. It's going to happen this morning at around 8.15 a.m. Of course, Russia's attempt failed its first in 47 years. It failed on Sunday. It's successful, and it will become the fourth nation to land a vehicle safely on the lunar surface and the first to do so at the moon's south pole. Interest in the region has grown since researchers discovered evidence of water from uh, which further missions could be extracted, uh, extract crucial hydrogen and oxygen from the moon's surface. A small solar-powered robotic rover is expected to operate for two weeks and conduct tests on the moon's surface chemistry, seismology, and thermal conductivity before shutting down amid the lunar south pole's extreme cold night, 300 degrees below zero on that, that side of the moon, south pole. In related news, Japan is slated to launch its moon lander on Friday with a landing scheduled in the next six months. So all of a sudden, a rush to the dark side of the moon. So interesting. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.com. Net. Coming up, Bob Levy, Chairman of the Cato, Chairman Emeritus of the Cato Institute. That and more, right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambaugh says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. 
everyone. Every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CallYourSeniorCenter.org. That's CallYourSeniorCenter.org. Or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252-4541. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Andrew Joppa. Right now we have with us Bob Levy. He is the Chairman Emeritus of the Cato Institute. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure. Good to be with you, Bob. Thank you, Bob. Could you tell us about the Cato Institute? We are a libertarian think tank headquartered in Washington, D.C., and focused primarily on private property, free markets, securing individual rights, and limited government, cato.org on the web. Terrific, a very robust website. I hope you'll check it out, cato.org. So um, we talk, we're talking about the key cases, seven of the top cases discussed by the Supreme Court last term. Let's pick up with uh, briefly about the environmental regulation case involving the wetlands. Can you tell us about it? Yeah, this was Sackett versus EPA, and it's a case that's going to have profound repercussions for environmental regulation. The question for the court was whether wetlands can be regulated as navigable waters of the U.S. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Clean Water Act requires that the wetlands had to be adjacent to the navigable waters. Nobody knew quite what that meant. In a case from about 20 years ago, uh, the court said that adjacent implies a significant nexus. But in this year's case, uh, the Sacketts argued for something uh, more like a continuous surface water connection. And Justice Alito uh, agreed for a majority of the court. He wrote that the Clean Water Act extends only to those wetlands with a continuous surface connection the waters of the United States so that they're indistinguishable from those waters. Yeah. Uh, Kavanaugh and the three liberal justices actually also supported the Sacketts. So the Sacketts won nine to zip. Wow. But in a concurring opinion, uh, the, dissent, the concurring opinion rejected the majority test and wanted a slightly broader uh, definition. But it, it's the majority definition that's going to prevail and it's going to seriously impede. Uh, future EPA uh, regulation, and that's a good thing. It is. Is this the case that uh, will limit the uh, a- the ABC agency, alphabet agencies, from uh, exceeding their uh, their limits and uh, put more responsibility on the legislatures? It's one of a series of cases. The big one's coming up next term, and that's going to test the so-called Chevron doctrine, uh-huh. the doctrine that says that courts are supposed to defer to the interpretations of the regulatory agencies. Thank you, Bob. So uh, let's uh, finally discuss the biggest case of the term, in my opinion, anyhow, on affirmative action. What was at stake? This was Students for Fair Admissions versus Harvard consolidated with a uh, similar case involving the University of North Carolina. And the issue was whether to overturn 
a case called Gruder v. Bollinger, which was a 20-year-old case that allowed the University of Michigan Law School to use race as an admissions criterion in order to achieve a diverse student body. Uh, the difference was that at Harvard and UNC, uh, the plaintiffs argued that the affirmative action program actually discriminated against Asians. Mm-hmm. So that was the issue. UNC is a public university bound by the Equal Protection Clause. Harvard receives a lot of federal funding, so it's covered by Title VI of the Civil Rights Act, which is sort of a mirror image of the Equal Protection Clause. So interesting. So how does the court resolve past race discrimination cases? Well, you know, when examining these programs that discriminate, uh, the Supreme Court applies what's called their strict scrutiny test. It's a two-part test. Uh, To be approved, the program has to be designed to advance a compelling state interest, and it must be narrowly tailored, which means that the program doesn't sweep more broadly than necessary, and you couldn't achieve the same ends uh, without using racial preferences. Well, after this Michigan case, Gruder, uh, the admissions programs that were intended to promote diversity by race were deemed to satisfy uh, the first part of the test, which means diversity was defined as a compelling state interest. And that meant that these programs only had to meet the second part of the test, and that is that they were narrowly tailored. In, in the Michigan case, Uh, The program passed, but in the Harvard and the UNC cases, the court essentially overturned the Grutter, Michigan case, although it didn't formally say so. Um, What the majority said is that diversity is not, in and of itself, a compelling interest. And second, the process applied by Harvard and UNC was not narrowly tailored. So interesting. So do you believe that diversity should qualify as a compelling state interest? Short answer, no. I mean, if diversity is a compelling interest, why not diversity by measures other than race, like religion or nationality or socioeconomic status, geography? And most important, how about diversity of viewpoint? You know, according to a recent uh, poll, Harvard's class that's graduating in 2025 now at Harvard 72.4% liberal, 8.6% conservative. And I suspect the faculty has uh, similar leanings. And in promoting diversity, Harvard's program gave black students in the fourth lowest academic decile a better chance of admission than Asians in the very top academic decile. And that's even though Asians are also, as we know, historically disadvantaged group. Just amazing, Bob. Oh, this is a major step forward. What did Chief Justice Roberts ultimately conclude? Uh, he wrote for the majority that uh, the University of Michigan Law School in the Grutter case was permitted to use race-based admissions on three conditions. First, they survived this strict scrutiny test. Second, they weren't used as a stereotype or a negative factor against any group. And third, there was some end point. We knew when this thing would be over. Roberts said that the affirmative action programs at Harvard and UNC uh, failed all uh, of the three criteria. Uh, the, the interest of diversity, for example, uh, wasn't sufficiently explained. It wasn't sufficiently measurable for purposes of court review. 
the racial ca- classes weren't narrowly tailored. For example, Asian, you know, was overbroad. There's so many Asian groups. Hispanic was undefined. Middle Eastern was omitted altogether. Mm. And then Roberts also wrote that because there were limited admission slots, the program is really zero sum, you know. So one person's gain is another person's loss. Right. And so unavoidably, these programs, they, they treated the employed race in a negative manner to the disadvantage of Asians who were shut out of Harvard and UNC. And by assuming that particular students of a particular race think alike, the programs were clearly guilty of stereotyping. Stereotyping. And, so, and finally, he said they, they lacked meaningful endpoints. We didn't know when this whole thing uh, would be over. So that was his opinion, and uh, it was a good one. It was a great one. So, so what is the thrust of the liberal dissent, and where do we go from here? Sotomayor dissented, along with Kagan and Jackson. Uh, they wrote that race continues to matter, that the university, that the U.S. has never been uh, colorblind, and the court has further entrenched uh, racial inequality in education. I think, importantly, the dissenters were not pacified by the one olive branch that uh, Roberts offered. He he volunteered that nothing in the future prohibits universities from considering the effect of race on an applicant's life, so long as they tie that to character mm-hmm. or some unique ability that the applicant can bring to the university. Things like what challenges the applicant met or the skills built or the lessons learned, but not merely the color of the applicant's skin. So, so this final very important case, I think, was a big step forward for the Supreme Court. I do too, Bob, and it makes me wonder, I mean, are we going to be able to focus on excellence as opposed to diversity? Yeah, And I'm especially thinking about the workplace. Will it spill over into, for example, hiring in other areas? It's very likely to because uh, Title VII is, can be treated similarly to Title VI, which was applied against Harvard. <clears throat> Title VII would be applied against private corporations, and there are already lawsuits that are uh, – floating around that say that these private corporations, um, because of this decision, uh, may not use some of these DEI programs that they have in place. My personal view, uh, as, of, as we've discussed in the past, is that private entities are quite different than public entities uh, like the University of North Carolina. Private entities can do what they want to do, and the government ought to butt out. Bob Levy, again, chairman of the Cato Institute, chairman emeritus, I should say, of the Cato Institute, Cato.org, C-A-T-O.org is the website. Bob, really appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Great to be with you, Bob. Thank you so much, Bob. All right, coming up, Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz, that and more, right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. 
two-thirds of parents prefer educational options for their children, with 40% strongly preferring options for their child's education. School choice is a growing movement, one that is already lifting thousands of kids across America. The Optima Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit corporation, was founded to support the establishment and expansion of superior quality schools of choice. Optima's goal was the successful launch of Hillsdale College Varney Charter School, Initiative Classical Academies, and other schools of excellence across the state of Florida, serving kindergarten through the 12th grade. The mission is to train the minds and improve the hearts of young people through a content-rich classical education in the liberal arts and sciences with instruction in the principles of moral character and civic virtue. In a terrific product of the process, Naples Classical Academy has already opened here in Naples. You can find out more by visiting the website Optima.Foundation. Help children in Florida optimize their educational opportunities. Visit www.Optima.Foundation. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now I'll play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. They get the politics and know the policy, and they help prepare elected officials to have winning strategies in the legislature. And you can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org, thefga.org. We have with us Professor Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Andy, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Good, good morning, Bob. Good morning, Andy. So uh, typically we start our interviews on Wednesday with uh, interesting observations and good news. What are your thoughts today? Well, i got a couple of quotations. Both are very similar to each other, but I think they're worth uh, mentioning in today's America. The first one is from Plato, and he said, No one is more hated than he who speaks the truth. That's, that's a, My goodness, is that truth, actually. <laughs> and then George Orwell said, The further a society drifts from truth, the more it will hate those that speak it. And so I think, uh, you know, what I'm, what I'm suggesting, and I'm suggesting, obviously, as a Trump supporter, that, uh, that Trump has overwhelmed this, this culture, this society, with truth. Yeah. And I think that is the primary reason he's hated Bob. I agree. And uh, just, just amazing uh, the reaction that, that, to, to Trump. But we're going to talk about that in the show here. But uh, any good news for us? Well, there is a good news story. Uh, John Coleman, who founded the um, the Weather Channel back in uh, whatever 1982, uh, is apparently suing Al Gore and others uh, of the Al Gore mentality for fraud. Uh, the fraud would be associated with the selling of carbon credits. 
Now, that in itself does not sound dramatically significant, although it, it is. Uh, but I think the most significant thing is, and this is what Coleman pointed out, by going in this direction, he may be able to finally get a public debate on climate change and global warming. So that's his optimism, and I'm not sure if that's a warranted optimism, but certainly that is what John Coleman is trying to accomplish here, Bob. Well, we're on the throes. Uh, many people are speculating the president is going to declare a climate emergency. Can you imagine uh, this? just the the utter absurdity of, uh, you know, stay out of our lives. You're supposed to be running the government. You're not doing a very good job with the executive branch, so leave our lives alone, in my opinion. Well, again, this, this emergency uh, declaration in terms of, of climate and global warming uh, can be uh, so, so significant that I don't think we have a deep appreciation of what it may, of what it may imply. Uh, you know, in a, in a real, legally defined emergency circumstance, uh, the federal government can take over the communication channels. It yeah. can take over the uh, the, uh, the the travel tra- the travel areas. It can take take over the the medical care areas. It can take over everything. Uh, so again, if we're looking at what the implications are uh, for an emergency, a state of uh, emergency, uh, it in fact enables the federal government to in fact take over all the institutions of our government. Bob. We can only hope uh, that somehow, some way, that uh, this is is cut off at the pass. So uh, we've got the debate coming up tonight, and obviously this is an important event. Uh, President uh, Trump has decided not to participate. What if you have any thoughts? Well, I certainly, I thought that Trump should not participate. I thought he would have just been... Uh, exposing himself to some of the uh, the horrors of somebody like Christie, for example. I, I just didn't think it was necessary for somebody who was 50 points ahead. And certainly there's a legitimate other side to that issue. Uh, most of the discussions right now are focused on the, uh, the, 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 the way this debate may go, which is to focus on Ron DeSantis. I'm not sure if that'll be, that'll be true. Yeah. What I'm finding so far is that uh, Vivek Ramaswamy is running, I think, a smarter campaign. And by the way, I prefer Ron DeSantis. So when I say that, I am not advocating for Vivek Ramaswamy. Right. Uh, but what I think Ramaswamy is doing is he is not attacking Trump. He is working with the basic presumption if Trump uh, does not get the nomination, he wants to be in position to get that nomination at, without having alienated millions of Trump supporters. So recently we've seen Ron DeSantis with his, his comment of this listless vessels. Now, uh, he, they try to uh, back up on that and suggest that he was only talking about the, uh, the people in Congress uh, as compared to the general MAGA voter. Uh, but again, he, why would he comment on the on the, on the Congress people? Essentially, his his world right now is trying to convince the voters. So I think it's just an unwise thing that uh, DeSantis said, um, and I hope it doesn't damage him. Actually, Bob, but I it it may. I can't believe they'll leave this uh, un uh, unaddressed on the uh, on the debate debate stage tonight, Bob. I do too. I, uh, my my personal view is that I <clears throat> to think DeSantis has been a fantastic governor for us, done a terrific job, and uh, I'm happy that he's on the national stage right now. I think he's taken some pretty good licks <laughs> from from the public right now, and hopefully this will be information that he can use to be a better candidate in 2028. 
I mean, I hope that's true. You know, and I think I mentioned this last <clears throat> week. If we look at the the story of Walker in Wisconsin and Jeb Bush here in Florida, you know, and they certainly faded into obscurity after after their 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 failed uh, primary process. And I'm I'm just hoping, and this is what I've always hoped from the beginning of this. You you know, in our discussions, that has always been my fear is that Ron DeSantis will be hurt by this process. Yeah. So it, I see nothing. That screams at me that he will be hurt, but on the other hand, I can see the the materials lying there that could result in that, Bob. Absolutely. Andy, we just need to take a little break right now. Can you stick around? I'm going to stay right here, Bob. Okay, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. you have questions about your retirement, Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratospell Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit blueprovencenaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's blueprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, changing lives through exceptional theater experiences. And I hope you find out more and get tickets. You can go to the website, golfshoreplayhouse.org. We have with us Professor Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Again, Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Good to be here, Bob. So Tucker Carlson released a piece on uh, Ukraine with uh, uh, Colonel Governor Greg Thomas McGregor. Thomas, yeah, and uh, it just really was chilling to me. And I understand that you had a chance to see it. Yes, I did. I, I did. Um, Douglas McGregor, as uh, as I've experienced him over the years as a commentator on Fox primarily, uh, has 
sometimes exaggerated and sometimes been wrong. Now, I'm not suggesting he's wrong in this particular area on Ukraine, yeah. because I happen to believe the information he supplied to Tucker was, was valid. But I think McGregor has to be seen with a little bit of a jaundiced eye because of uh, what I've seen in the past. But moving past that, uh, what, what, was, what was stated in this, in this interview? Uh, Tucker takes the approach as to what the mainstream media and the American political world says about the Ukraine conflict. They say the Russian army is incompetent. They say Ukraine is a democracy. They say Vladimir Putin is Hitler and that he's trying to take over wor- the world. Um, and, and thankfully, the Ukrainians are winning. And Tucker then says none of that is true. None of that is true. And I, I totally agree with that. The numbers thrown out by McGregor in terms of the total number of combat deaths uh, by the uh, by the Ukrainian forces uh, in between 400 and 450,000. Now, I don't know whether that's uh, completely accurate. I know it resembles accuracy. Right. Uh, so I know I know there are huge numbers of deaths. Plus, he alludes to the fact that there have been atrocities that have not even been reported that have been taking place uh, taking place in Ukraine. But. And I think that's uh, I think the number that he threw out for Russian casualties was something to the neighborhood of forty thousand or uh, eighty thousand, a much lower number than for our Ukraine. The other thing he said was that in many cases, because uh, their soldiers are being uh, being uh, injured and hurt, in many cases the Ukrainian leaders are you know, just uh, uh, surrendering to the Russians because they want to make sure that they're the sick and injured are going to be able to be taken care of. Yeah, that, that was a significant comment. And it would, would ring true because of the fact that, you know, in a country like, like Ukraine, essentially a, a, a poverty nation, essentially, yeah. uh, now they're getting tremendous amounts of, of aid, military aid. Now, as to whether or not that translates into medical equipment for the troops being injured in the field, I don't know that. But the possibility that large numbers of troops are surrendering to the Russians, primarily because they're injured and cannot get medical care, Bob, seems to ring true to me. Absolutely. So the, the bottom line that McGregor is, is painting here is that the, right now, everything that we believe about what's happening in Ukraine, that we're moving forward and the, uh, the uh, Russians will be uh, toppled, that's just not the case. I mean, the equipment they have is superior. The, the resources they have in Russia are superior to the Ukrainians. The equipment that we're sending over to the Ukrainians, in many cases, is old and, and not up to date, not modern. So uh, basically, his position is we need to get out of there because we're losing the war. And he makes the point, he extends the point, if we, in fact, ourselves go into direct field contact with the Russians, American troops versus Russian troops, you know, would we win? I think there's a general presumption we would, and I've, I hold that presumption myself, by the way. But, uh, but again, that's not a foregone conclusion. I think that uh, if there was a war entered into in, the, in that area of the world, uh, with our supply chains being long and, and extended, and Russia's, Russia's supply chains being immediate, I think there's every reason to believe that uh, our troops would be at extreme risk if that ever came to pass, Bob. Well, the other point that he makes is that uh, after World War II, we had uh, clear advantages because of the te- the technology and the uh, modernization of equipment. Right now, the rest of the world is advanced, and uh, we have not made the advances that we needed to in order to maintain the critical edge. So the consequence is that he's saying that you know literally we could end up uh, in a very bad position if we ended up uh, uh, making war with Russia. 
I don't want to throw around some of these memes that have become so common in, in America. But, I mean, I, I, you have to look at the military-industrial complex. You've got to look at the incredible amount of money being funneled into Ukraine and the large amount of that money that has not been, been accounted for. Right. And I think that is a serious issue, especially when McGregor points out also that the high degree of corruption that I I forget whether he cited as the most corrupt nation in the world, but certainly in the top few. And I think that uh, there's no doubt that much of our, fine, our military aid has gone into other areas besides where they were intended. But I agree with that. And of course, uh, the and I don't have proof of this, but there has been some discussion of some of the money being uh, filtered off and, and being sent back to the Democrat uh, National Committee uh, for uh, elections. Uh, here in the United States. So that would make sense as to me. I mean, you could see that as being part of the deal. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's little doubt in my mind that if they, the political left in this country could harvest a benefit from uh, this war in which thousands, hundreds of thousands of Ukrainians are dying, they certainly would not hesitate to do so. So I, I think we're looking at is a callous position being taken where uh, American uh, political leaders do not care how many Ukrainians die, any more so than Zelensky did. But at least Zelensky, has several times during this process, wanted to achieve a peace with, with Russia. And yet that was denied and interfered with by the United States, by Great Britain. Uh, and again, that, would, that prevented any kind of successful peace negotiation. Uh, so I would blame America more so than Zelensky himself right. for the nature of how this thing has unfolded. But. Absolutely. Well, for I, I think you'd probably agree. For anybody who has questions about the validity and of the uh, position we're taking in Ukraine, should review uh, Douglas McGregor's uh, video with Tucker Carlson because it is sobering and revealing, and it demonstrates, I think, a lot of the weakness that we have here in the United States in in the situation we're in. You know, we we've experienced the degree of. Um distortion that's taken place in our own body politic domestically. Uh, there's absolutely no doubt in my mind that that gets extended into the international arena. Uh, so I know that's happening. I, I know that what we're getting in terms of information from Ukraine is not complete, uh, is not accurate in many cases. So, you know, the, the question then is, what is the degree of error? What is the degree of manipulation? And where is it leading us? Is it leading us into a possible nuclear exchange? Is it leading us into uh, a conventional war with Russia? Either one of those potentials is not to be seen as a desirable outcome, Bob. Absolutely. And you need to take another break. Can you stick around? I'll be here, Bob. All right. We're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratuskell Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. 
Golf Shore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Golf Shore Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgrowing its current facilities with dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, Gulf Shore Playhouse is building a 44,000-square-foot state-of-the-art theater and education center on three acres at the corner of First Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, the state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about this season's exciting productions, Visit GulfShorePlayhouse.org. That's GulfShorePlayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. I want to remind you that Lulabee's Diner, known for its great breakfasts and lunches, just enjoy them so much, will now serve a dinner... Wednesday through Saturday, 4 to 8 p.m. The menu is terrific. Uh, the chef is fantastic. He's a former chef at the Turtle Club. And, uh, and the great value there, it's just amazing. So you can find out more by just dropping by. You don't even need to make a reservation. It's casual, informal, and enjoy dinner at uh, Little Bee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center, Saturday, Wednesday through Saturday, 4 to 8 p.m. We continue the conversation with Professor Andrew Joppa. Again, Andy, thank you so much for joining us here on the Good show. To be here, thank you so much. So, you know, just taking a step back, what everything I'm seeing, it looks like using lawfare and other methods. It's the uh, Democrats are doing everything in their power to keep Trump off the ticket for the 2024 election. I mean, they, they're using the 14th Amendment. I, was, I read an article by Jonathan Turley, who was proven to be a significant voice for a reason in the, in the judicial community. Uh, and so they're trying everything. And I just read something that was a, a new approach. I don't know if it has any legs, but it's, it's interesting, and it may, in fact, have legs. Let, let's look, here's, here's what it says. Um, a person can only run and win two presidential elections. Now, what this suggests is in early 2024, the Democrats will announce that they've reviewed all of the voting records for 2020, and they have come up to the conclusion that Trump actually won in 2020. <laughs> now, that would make him, if so, ineligible for the 2024 presidential election. Now, so, I mean, God, that sounds so absurd, but gosh, we've seen so many absurdities, Bob, that nothing seems to be outside the range of, of what we may do, Bob. Right. So, uh, well, I think there's so much evidence that uh, they could use. I mean, if, if my opinion, he did win the election. And uh, it's never been really reviewed. It's, it's always been a matter of standing. No court has actually reviews the evidence that uh, he won the election and that he's never been able to make that case. I wonder if perhaps one of these cases that's uh, uh, pending right now, especially the one in Georgia, might provide the opportunity to bring all that evidence to the fore. Well, I think that's the way Trump sees much of this, not all of it perhaps, but much of it, in terms of his ability finally to be able to make his case in a legal environment uh, where he'll be able to have his say in a, in a full presentation. So uh, I'm optimistic. No, I'm not. That's too strong. I am hopeful that, uh, that this happens. I think it's an important thing that can happen for America, Bob. Yeah, so <laughs> that's an interesting theory. What's the source of the information here? I mean, I, I can't imagine... Um, what the the position of the Democrats up to this point has been? Anybody who who makes the claim that Trump won the election is uh, somehow an uh, extremist, and they're lying, and they're 
they're guilty of all kinds of crimes and so forth. That, and that's exactly the position that Fannie Willis is taking with regard to the... the uh, I only bring it up because it highlights in my mind the 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 extreme lengths that the left apparently will go to to try to get Donald Trump off of the ballot. Now, for those people that say that the uh, the left is indicting Trump, uh, they have four major indictments now, that they're doing it entirely for one reason, that they want to make Trump more popular so that they can run against him in the general election. I find that position patently absurd. Uh, but you know that's that's what I'm hearing from many people on on the right. Uh, I, I don't I don't agree with that at all. Uh, so I'm I'm optimistic that we can begin to see Trump for what he has offered this country. Uh, I think we've got to stop being ungrateful to this man who has sacrificed sacrificed so much for us, right. and yet has received I think extremely limited um, uh, credit for for what he's done. You know, getting back to DeSantis's comment, listless vessels, which you know suggests that we just blindly support Donald Trump, the man, or we just care about him, not his policies, not the impact he makes. Now, I, mean, I know me, and I know you, and I know I know a lot of people that support Donald Trump. Uh, and again, I know I don't know anyone that would support Donald Trump if he was not taking America in the right directions and had not successfully taken America. Uh, for four years in the right direction. So this this is what I think we have to get some commentators to start talking reasonably about about Donald Trump. Especially on the heels of this uh, visit to Bowie. I mean, the pres the uh, Biden just made a complete it just another spectacle, international spectacle, uh, and did all the wrong things. He looked so absurd in the whole process. Makes me wonder if perhaps the Democrats ha will finally move to the point where they don't want. Uh, uh, Biden on the ticket? Well, I think that if they don't move away from Biden, it will indicate to me that the fix is in like it was in 2020. Uh, I said at the time in 2020 that Biden <coughs> sitting in his, in his basement during the campaign, that was an indication that uh, he had no worries. And I think uh, we, you know, if we see that again, I think it only indicates one thing to me, and that is the, le the, the, the fixes in for our election. Now, that sounds maybe to some of your, your listeners extreme, but I think there's no reason, no reason to doubt the validity of that statement, Bob. I think you're absolutely right. And uh, we, we found out what happened in, I think it was uh, Michigan, uh, this corporation that had guns and all kinds of things, fake ballots, eight ten thousand 10,000 ballots, uh, registrations for ballots in their, uh, in their office. And apparently this is with an uh, NGO, a non-government organization, that uh, not-for-profit that they've been using nationwide, the Democrats I'm talking about, to, for uh, election interference. Oh, yes. I mean, I, I don't mean to short-circuit that comment, but I, there is something else I wanted to bring into today's discussion, and uh, you may be aware of it. I don't know how many Americans are, that there is a, uh, a, uh, a C-40 Cities Climate Leadership Group now, worldwide, there are 100 cities that have signed on. There are 14 American cities that have signed on. Uh, now, this is not something that isn't, it may not happen, it is happening. Uh, so these 14 cities have committed uh, to zero, uh, zero consumption of dairy products, zero consumption of meat, uh, only having three new clothing items per person per year, huh. having zero private vehicles that are owned, and only one short-haul return flight, less than 1,500 kilometers every three years. Now, God, that sounds extreme like it can't be, but it is. There are 14 cities that have currently signed on 
to that exact agenda that in the way it's set up, it would be fulfilled by 2030. Uh, you know, we're looking at some of these dramatic measures, which uh, can only harm the average citizen, Bob. That is appalling. So uh, this is a, would it be part of the World uh, Health Organization? Who, who's uh, perpetuating this? I think it this? came out of the WEF. Wow. So, again, the name of this is the C40 Cities Climate Leadership Group. Uh, and so I gave you then the targets of, of this and the, the numbers that have signed on, 14 American cities, 100 cities worldwide. Uh, so, again, we're looking at a and now how they would uh, impose this on the citizens of their cities. I, I have no idea, but, uh, you know, I, I would never, ever uh, write the uh, Democrats out of the potential of doing the most horrendous thing, Bob. I would agree with that. Can, do you have an example of, like, would it be Seattle or Portland, Oregon or... Uh... Yeah, I mean, the cities that you would expect are there. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Seattle, Portland, and uh, San Francisco, and so forth. I mean, the, the, the cities that were predictably going to be there are there. Yeah, I talked with a friend the and, other... And there's no one there who, who you would have been surprised at, that, that I can mention. I understood. So, uh, again, I talked to somebody who said, well, you know, we, right now we need some a centrist, somebody who could bring us all together. Well, how, how do you find a middle ground between Marxism and capitalism <laughs> and free markets between love and hate between disease and uh, disease and health i mean there is no middle ground bob uh, so no... effectively we have to look for the right answer a compromise sounds good but a compromise is always a less than best decision <laughs> so if we move immediately to compromise we're already conceding that we're giving up on the best decision because that's what a compromise will always do bob well, so it's... you know these 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 are serious issues We've got to fight for the right position, not yield to the pressures from wrong positions. And, and But that's what I've been seeing more and more of as America unfolds. But. Well, a compromise has led us to where we are today right now. So I, well, that's why I think I'm a proponent for uh, President Donald Trump returning to office. Uh, he, he's learned a lot. He understands what's going on. He understands the deep state. I think he understands that he has a game plan to, to do whatever he needs to do right now to begin to solve our problems. Probably can't do it all in four years, but he can have a big impact. And I think there's, he's... there's no doubt if he had had the continuity from 2016 into 2020, I, I think he would have been able to accomplish dramatic things. He did in the four years. Uh, if he had continuity into the next four, I think he would have had tremendous impact. So, uh, you know, I think that this is the man that we need there. Uh, I think he's the one that can get the job done for us. And, you know, there are other good men on that stage tonight. But uh, to me, at this point in American history, Donald Trump is the man at this point. So I'll just remind our listeners, if you're planning on watching the debate, consider also taking a look at Tucker Carlson's interview of President Donald Trump. That'll be happening uh, later today. Hopefully he'll release it before 9 o'clock, but we'll see. Anyhow, Andy, as usual, great commentary here on the show. I genuinely appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks so much for joining us. And thank you, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly did and learned a lot. I've got some great guests for tomorrow, including Pastor Rick Stevens will be joining us. He's the co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. Michael Cannon, Director of Health Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. Seton Motley is the founding president of Less Government. And the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett, is always a terrific source of information for what's happening locally and around the world. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com. <laughs>